Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Jim Croce's son, A.J. Croce, pays tribute to his late father Sunday at Strathmore in North Bethesda, Maryland. I spoke with A.J. about his father's biggest hits, from You Don't Mess Around with Jim to Time in a Bottle, which was written about A.J. when he was still in the womb. AJ, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, my pleasure, man. How did this thing come together? I think I remember seeing it like back before the pandemic. I guess it had to go on ice for like a year and now we're bringing it back. Yeah, everything, everything did. You know, I, I do these uh, Croce Plays Croce concerts, um, you know, dozen or more times a year um, between my usual touring and it's really fun. I get to, you know, play my father's music, my music and the music that really connects us. So it's it's been... Um, it's been a bit of a pleasure to do, and it's always unique and different. My band is great, some legendary players in in the group, and um, and it's just uh, it's energetic and 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 I think nostalgic for a lot of people uh, who never got to see him perform. Now, what are some of your father's hits that are that you will include in the in the set? Oh, I mean, many of the hits, you know, Operator, Don't Mess Around with Jim, um, Leroy Brown, Time in a Bottle, you know, uh, I Got a Name, um, on and on. On and on, Uh, of course. Yeah. You know, whenever I talk to, you know, sons or daughters of famous singers and, you you know, you go on to be, a, a, you know, an established artist in your own right. I'm always fascinated to hear, you know, how you got into it to begin with. How old were you when, when your father died in, the, in that plane crash? You were pretty young, right? Yeah, I was just two years old. Um, so I never really knew him um, personally. Um, very dim memories of, of being with him. But my... Um, you know, the, I heard a you know, million stories from the family, of course, and friends, and and got to know him through his own recordings, uh, home recordings, where he recorded everything that he was writing and practicing. And before he, you know, before he got to perform his own music, he would record, uh, you know, uh, what he was going to play at a at a bar some night, and um, a lot of conversations with friends. So I got to know him that way, and I feel fortunate. Um, of course, I got started um, pretty young. I was um, playing piano uh, from an early age. Piano is my first instrument. I didn't didn't um, pick up guitar until my 30s. But um, you know, I got started when I really on tour when I was 18. BB King heard me play. Asked if I'd go out on the road, and I played with a lot of R&B and blues soul artist, Ray Charles and Aretha and James Brown and the Nevilles. And, um, yeah, toured all over the world, recording my own stuff and and uh, working with all kinds of amazing artists over the years. 
Yeah, and um, you know, in those early days playing the the piano, a little bit of a piano virtuoso yourself, um, didn't you suffer some sort of like vision issues? And you, Ray Charles, yeah. Stevie Wonder music helped you work through it on the piano. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I I went blind when I was four completely, and sort of gradually got my sight back over six years, and. Um, and during that time, you know, I got turned on to Ray Charles, who I had heard since, you know, I could remember. And, of course, I listened to my father's record collection, um, which had a huge impact. And even though I couldn't see which albums I was pulling out in the early days, you know, I would see which ones I liked. And it was so diverse. It could be Otis Redding or Ray Charles or Stevie or it could be, um, you know, Woody Guthrie or uh, Mississippi John Hurt or... Um, you know, Sam Cooke, uh, any kind of uh, genre of music was in there, you know, plenty of rock and roll and and uh, folk and jazz and blues and just kind of the American songbook. I, I, I love that concept of, I mean, it's tragic that you, that you never really got to know your father, but I love the concept of you discovering his music purely um audioly you know you you did you you said you can't even couldn't even see the album covers you were pulling out but you're you're listening and falling in love with your your dad's music and getting to know him in the process that's that's a wild unique intimacy of discovering your dad man absolutely you know he um you know my grandfather um well he wasn't you know didn't really embrace the fact that my father was becoming a a musician um, after he had paid for him to go to college and all. But I think when um, he, when my dad was growing up, my uncle were growing up, they were um, turned on to all kinds of good music. My my grandfather collected records, loved, you know, Fats Waller and Bessie Smith and all that stuff that was really, for me, uh, that stuff was my part of my education, you know. Um, not to mention the New Orleans music like uh, that Alan Toussaint wrote. And, of course, I worked with him. Uh, he was a huge influence. And so it was it was really uh, a unique thing to be able to grow up listening to this music and then at a really uh, relatively young age have the opportunity to play with so many of these people. Um whether I was on stage with them or whether some of them, you know, came and recorded with me or I recorded with them, you know, and it was, you know, it was really diverse. There was country artists like Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, but also that I, you know, played with, but, um, but a lot of, a lot of roots music and soul and R&B, it was kind of the foundation of what I, what I started with. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these names you're throwing out, I mean, I'm sure, you know, their ears perked up when they heard you were Jim Croce's son, and, you know, they probably loved your dad's music, but, you know, they would not have recorded with you if you didn't have the chops yourself, you know, they so they must have been pleasantly surprised, man, when they actually tuned into your stuff, <laughs> or like, oh, the guy's got it, man. Like, was it hard to sort of, I don't want to say get out of your dad's shadow, because, you know, I think it's a positive, and you're still doing tributes to him, but, you know what I mean, like, was it hard to try to get people to take you serious for your own work as well, and oh. how do you come you know, full circle where yeah, you're sort of, of proud to play your dad's so, music. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't touch it, talk about him, do any of that stuff for, you know, the first 20 years of my recording career. But uh, after, you know, I had had, you know, 15 or so, you know, top 20 singles of my own, I felt like um, I had sort of made my mark and 
and and done what I um, you know sort of established myself in my own right and could really come back to embrace um, you know the legacy and you, you know even though I was not um, performing his music or talking about him in in public um, you, you know I've I wear many hats uh, in the music business that, you know, I have a publishing company and, and I really work to keep his legacy alive with, with, you know, in, in all different facets of, of what that means. And then, um, and then also a, a couple independent labels. So I've been involved with promoting his music uh, since I was in my, uh, you know, late twenties, early thirties. And, and and had I not had you know ten years of experience working with my own music, uh, without ever having anything to do with his, I, I don't think I would have been in the place to to do that. So it was like one step at a time. And uh, yeah, after about twenty years of doing my own stuff and helping to promote his music and legacy, I uh, became comfortable with the idea of of. Um, performing his music, but I don't think I could do a show of just uh, just his music. That would be it would take all of the fun out of it because you know he he would play covers. He would play you know he, he only had an eighteen month career, and mine's thirty years now. So it's there's limited music that I can play from his catalog, three albums worth really, and. Um, and so by including um, not just my music and the music um, that influenced us, you get a really broad and big picture of, of of where his stuff came from. Because you can hear in Leroy Brown or Don't Mess Around With Jim or Car Wash Blues or Rapid Roy or any of those character songs, uh, the influence of artists like, you know, songwriters like Lieber and Stoller uh, or... Um, um, you know, someone like Jimmy Reed, um, blues guitarist and singer and harmonica player. You can hear those influences. Um, and, and so by paying tribute to them in, in the, in the show, you get a bigger picture of who he was, who I am and, and how we're connected. I love it. Well, speaking of continuing his legacy on, um, I'd like to ask about some of the songs individually, if we could, like a little deeper dive on, on just a few. Obviously, we'd be here forever if we did, if we did all of it. But sure, um, I always love, one of my personal favorites was, I'll have to say, I love you in a song. It's not only a beautiful melody, but it's almost got that Elton John song vibe where it's almost like he's sort of saying it as it's coming to him. You know, I run out of things to say, I knew you'd understand it. Like, like talk yeah. about, is that the magic of that song? Or, or what? what is it to you about, I'll have to say, I love you in a song that just makes it such one of the sweet all-timers? I, I think um, I think there was um, a, a sincere apology to my mother in that song. And, um, and I think that, I think he, um, you know, I think he felt guilty about a number of things and feeling that, um, he wasn't really able to express himself, um, outside of music. You know, he was still very young, still learning. Um, and, um, and so, I mean, that's really it in a nutshell. 
It's so sincere. I love it, man. I, I, it's just one of my favorites ever. Um, all right. Well, operator, it was a really interesting, catchy premise of one-sided conversation with a, a phone operator trying to get the number of a of an ex girlfriend or whatever. Um, right. It's sometimes a great song is right in the premise, right? <laughs> I don't want to give too much away because I tell these stories when I play and I tell the origins of them. Sure. Um, but suffice it to say that um, that in um, the early 60s, around 64, I guess mid-60s, 64, 65, my, my dad was um, uh, in uh, the Army, and he was, uh, you know, waiting to use the payphone, and the payphone, uh, you know, the long line to, to talk to Everyone wanted to talk to their girlfriends and families and whatnot. And uh, so he just heard all of these phone calls. It, did, it didn't, I don't think he really put it all together until around 1971. Nice. And sometimes the key is just great visual storytelling. Like, you don't spit in the wind and you don't tug on Superman's yeah. cape, like, and you don't mess right. around with Jim. What do you think is the magic of that song? Like, to me, it's that visual storytelling. <laughs> Perfect example is, you know, is Lieber and Stoller. You know, songs that they, those character songs they wrote for the coasters, for Elvis, for all different kinds of people, Hound Dog or Charlie Brown or Little Egypt, um, or name 20 other ones that they wrote. They are, you know, Kansas City, you know, they are these, um, they're these, you know, sort of tongue-in-cheek, very funny sort of almost caricatures of of people, you know. Sometimes he was able to make heroes out of, of normal folks, and, and that was really his gift, I think. And so, uh, you know, with that, you know, I hear, when I hear it, I hear Jimmy Reed, I hear uh, Lieber and Stoller, I hear all that stuff. He, at the time, he was a uh, selling radio time for an R&B station in Philadelphia, and um, and so um, there was this pool hall that he would go to regularly. That he, you know, that would buy advertising on this R and B station, and 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 there were some characters in there that were sort of inspirational for the writing of that too. That's so cool. So those guys that are writing, you know, Charlie Brown, he's a clown. Your dad hears that and turns it into you don't mess around with Jim, bad, bad Leroy Brown. He he learns to write those character songs himself. Now Leroy Brown and Jim are, are legends themselves. <laughs> well, yeah. Cool, I mean, I, I think we all stand on the shoulders of giants, right? Uh, no one no one creates in a vacuum. Absolutely. Cool, man. Well, maybe time for just one more. Um, we got to talk time in a bottle because when it first comes on, those first few little notes, it's almost like a chilling effect to it. And, and it's you'll still even see that thing played today in some movies if there's ever like a slow-mo sequence in X-Men or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They'll yeah, still play X-Men, time in yeah. a bottle. Yeah. yeah, I remember that license. Um, yeah, uh, it's... <laughs> um, it's um, obviously it's a very personal song to me. It was something that was written for me, and um, and this musical style of it is very unique. That song is, is is really special, I think, for a number of reasons, not just with um, my connection, it per- personal connection to it, but also because it was sort of the first song in the group of those three albums. That was his sort of aha epiphany of really no longer just wearing his influences on his sleeve, but 
um, but being completely, you know, very, very original. And Time in a Bottle was sort of the breakthrough. And after that song, the the, re- the all of the rest of the music that people are familiar with was written in about a six-month period of time. Wow. While he was on the road and recording two other albums. In all in that short amount of time. You know, I mean, the same thing happened with Chuck Berry. So many of those songs were written in a in a in a year or less. You know, um, it happened with you know it happened with Little Richard. It happened with with a lot of different artists that had this sort of just brief um, brief moment of of just being completely connected to whatever it is, uh, and. And just having the good fortune to be in the right place at the right time to be able to have it recorded. And and it's just, it's such a rare occurrence that all of those things happen at once. Yeah, I guess it's <laughs> whatever that connection to the universe opens up, man. You just seize it whenever it comes. And sometimes it comes in waves in a short span. Um, yeah. So you were saying that Time in a Bottle was, I know it was written about you. Was it when your mom was pregnant with you? Is that when he wrote it? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Man. And it's, um, it's a, it's, it's, it's very interesting in, in listening to the demo, the very first, while he was writing it, um, you, you know, it, on one side of this a work tape were all these cover songs he was, he was going to perform at a little bar. Um, he didn't have a record deal. He didn't really have management company, you know, and he writes this, um, on the other side of the tape, um, completely different than anything he was covering, you know, that he was, there are Jimmy Rogers songs and, and there's a, uh, uh, Merle Haggard song on the other side. There's a, you know, all this different stuff that's on the other side of the tape, getting ready to play a show. And then he flips it over and writes writes time in a bottle and it's it was that sort of um it was the song that started it um however however that works for someone that's creating, I think that was the one where it got started, and once that was rolling, I think all of the other stuff really came out wow, and then right after this flourish of creativity you're speaking of. You know, the the tragedy in 1973, the plane crash, he was, gosh, he was just 30 years old. That is that is so wild. And how how, how old are you now, if you don't mind me asking? It's got to be that odd feeling where you know you've outlived your father. Oh, yes, by 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm 20 years older than my father at this point. And, um, and, you know, it's, of course, I think those, that's, you know, something you can, you consider, especially, um, because his, his, uh, career was so, um, stratospheric in such a, such a short period of time, you know, 18 months really flies by in our own lives. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you said you've outlived him by 20 years, which has got to be a, a mind bleep. I mean, it's got to, that's got to be just a weird feeling. But, um, yeah, is there anything you've learned about him either through stories from your, your family or, you know, watching all home videos or even doing deep dives, listening to the lyrics of his songs? I'm sure you've really reflected on, since you're an artist yourself, that's probably been a main source of it. But what have you learned about your dad as a person, not just as an artist, but a, as a man? Well, I think, um, I think that what is most um, recognizable that may not be heard uh, just in the songs is his his sense of humor and the idea that um, 
you know, there's a lot of things in life that are pretty hard, but um, it's sometimes, um, you know, laughing is, um, is well, it's, it, it's better than crying. And I think that having this sense of humor about things and taking the world with a grain of salt instead of instead of letting it uh, weigh on your shoulders was something that I really really got from uh, f- from him and from from what I know of him, of course. Um, and I think that's a you know a, a valuable lesson. Awesome. That's the perfect place to leave it. Well, again, everyone, it's it's called Croce Plays Croce. Uh, AJ's going to be playing uh, his dad's music and some of his other stuff um, on Sunday, August 8th at Strathmore at 2 p.m. So get your tickets now. Hey, AJ, thanks so much for taking the time to join us and, you know, and being so open uh, about your father. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you for your family's music over the years. It's, it's really meant a lot to, to me and mine. So I appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.